0: All right, wherever you are, show of hands, how many of you are ham and pineapple pizza people, right? Is there, even if you're at a video place, yeah, see? Uh, I found that out in college, and uh, man, that changed my world, right? Uh, it did. Hey, my name is Matt, and so welcome. All of our locations in the Northwest Georgia and the Tennessee Valley, Chattanooga area, thank you so much for, uh, for being here. We're delighted. It's a great, great weekend to, to be here because we start a new series. And just to kind of set the, set the primer for that is we're going to go through a book of the Bible. I like to do that a couple of times a year or, or devote ourselves to a big portion of the Bible. And it's going to be the book of Proverbs, which is one of the easiest books of the Bible uh, to sort of at least get started reading. So if you've never read the Bible before, uh, it's a great place to jump in. If you have, uh, Billy Graham used to read a proverb a day. That was part of his devotional life. So you kind of never graduate from uh, the book of Proverbs. And we're gonna spend a lot of our time today in part one. It'll be a little different for some of you that have been here for a while. Uh, I'm gonna just kind of try to help you know what to look for as you read this amazing book of the Bible. And we wanna encourage all of you over the next four weeks, four to five weeks, ...to read the book of Proverbs. You can read one chapter a day. There's 31 it take you about a month to do it. And we've got a resource called Time with God that, uh, that our discipleship team puts out every week. There, it's about five out of the seven days of the week that it comes out that will guide you through reading Proverbs. You can go to the Connect Here area. If you're a hard copy person, like you need a piece of paper, baby, you go to the Connection area and they'll give you one. If you wanna get it sent straight to your phone five days a week, you can text TWG to 888-744-0761. And just, here's the deal, we just... Maybe make a commitment to just say i'm gonna read the book of proverbs I'm gonna read it five days a week. Uh, if I miss a day I'll just catch up the next day. No big deal We're not gonna check and see if you did it when you walk in so you're welcome no matter what But we'd love for you to do that with us as as we get into this book Let me give you a quick overview and then i'll set up part number one All right proverbs if we could clear that up, that'd be great proverbs, um There we go. Proverbs has a genre or it's a style. You know, there's some books of the Bible that are letters, some that are poetry, some that are history. It's a proverb, which is basically a collection of short, catchy expressions of truth or or point uh, directions that lead us to the truth. The context in which Proverbs was written historically, and you've got to always understand when was this written, who was it written, why was it written, seems to be a a father, a, a leader, a political leader, a king like Solomon preparing his son or preparing some people to assume leadership responsibilities politically or and/ or in, in kind of business and you'll see that as you read my son my son will be repeated uh, numerous times and then there's two sections the section that we're going to teach in these next four weeks is chapters 1 through 9 which are the instructive speeches there's about ten of them of a father talking to a son who's a prospective leader in the nation or leader in the industry or business and then ten 10 through 31 are the actual kind of proverbs or sayings. So that's kind of just an overview to give you a handlebar. And let me, let me just make this, may, may help you understand this, wherever you're coming from, because we're a church of all walks of life. We believe something about the Bible. You, you may not, depending on where you are in Christianity, but we believe something about the Bible. We believe the Bible is God's revelation to us, his people, that it's the number one and primary way in which he speaks to us today. We believe it's living and active, that I can read something I've read seven hundred times, and on seven hundred and one it hits me, it convicts me, it directs me, it comforts me, it challenges me. We believe that about the Bible. We believe the Bible doesn't have any errors or mistakes in it, that it's authoritative and that it is our book to go to. That's a you know a letter from God to us. It's it's how we can know God, how we can be right with God, how we We can kind of roadmap our life. There's so many different things. So I I am more passionate about the Bible today than when Rockbridge started 17 years ago. And if I can do one thing to help you, and if you never remember a sermon I preach, but you're like, hey, Matt and Rockbridge helped me get into the Bible, I, I could die content with that. That's how much I love this amazing collection of 66 books. So we're going to devote ourselves to one of the 66 for the next four weeks. Invite you to just get devoted, get excited, at least try it out and uh, see what my God might do. Let me pray for us and we'll jump in. God, I just want to pray right now over all of us. And I just want to pray over your word that's coming to us. That God, this word that you wrote through human authors under the inspiration of you, your spirit, uh, thousands of years ago. God, that it hits us today where we are that it takes us tomorrow where you want us to be. So God, if anything, if anything, whether we're confused or not, or we're bored or not, just find us teachable. Find us teachable so that we can walk out of here different than when we came in. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, we pray. Amen, amen. All right, so before we, we jump into uh, the actual book, and we'll be in chapter 1, a little bit in chapter 2, let me kind of lay an illustration over this that I think is a gateway to understanding what's going on in the book of Proverbs. So I don't know if you've heard about this, but back in the spring, there were about a series of three deaths in the Grand Canyon. Two of the three were people who were trying to take selfies that fell, right? And that's kind of like tragic, but at the same time, you're scratching your head like, why would you, like, try to defy gravity? Why would you get... Did you, did you not know about gravity? Did you miss that lesson when you were learning how to walk? Um, I mean, did, did you miss the signs? Did you go past the rail? I mean, there's all these head-scratching type questions that come up. Were you overconfident? Did you think you would be the exception to gravity? Did you think those signs that, you know, the government put up in all these places of be careful, don't get too close to the rim, don't do close to the rim, did you think they didn't apply to you? Right? And, and so... There's something about this, the, these, this tragedy that's happened and, and this kind of craziness right here that you kind of got to get your brain around to understand what this father, this king, is trying to give to his son, his kids, and future leaders, what he's trying to do for them. Because and, and there's times, times in your life when, when you've looked back and you said, What was I thinking? right? Uh, there, there's times in your life where you've been like, you, you've looked back and you're like, I, I, I don't know what got into me, right? And, and, and so the book of Proverbs is kind of written for to to prevent something from happening and to enable something else to happen. And, and let's go back to the Grand Canyon for a minute. The Grand Canyon, God created it. It's beautiful. I mean, you can go there and oh, you know, you feel small. God feels big. You see beauty. I mean, it's amazing. So God wants you to enjoy the Grand Canyon. But the Grand Canyon will kill you unless you know how to appropriately and properly appreciate its beauty. So the big word of Proverbs is this, wisdom, wisdom. Wisdom is all about Knowing how to appropriately and fittingly fit into God's world and God's creation. And, 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 the, and, and the wisdom that God wants to impose is this. He wants us to enjoy something. He wants us to be blessed by something. But it's something powerful. It's something more powerful than you and I. And it's like gravity. It just is. And you and I can't defy it. You you and I can't ignore it. And if we embrace that understanding, the book of Proverbs just opens up and 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 we're like, wow, that's what it meant. That's what it means. So let's jump in. We'll start reading chapter 1, verse 1. Here we go. It says this, the Proverbs of Solomon, son of David, king of Israel. So the majority of the book is written by by Solomon. There's a couple of other sections that were written by some other leaders for learning wisdom and discipline, for understanding insightful sayings, for reaching prudent instruction, righteousness, justice, integrity. So look, he's he's writing. He's going to be writing to his son, writing to some future leader. And and every leader would say, hey, I want to lead with justice. I want to lead with integrity. I want to lead with righteousness. I need wisdom to do that. And, And so that's, the goal. That's the end result. is something positive and something amazing. He goes on. He says, for teaching shrewdness, and that means skill and insight, h- how to act, how to behave, right? To the inexperienced. So this book is written to people that don't have, inex- that don't have necessary experience. So if I'm going to the Grand Canyon and I've never been before, I need wisdom to know how to appropriately appreciate the beauty of the Grand Canyon, and I'm not so sure this is that. Okay, just not so sure. All right, so I need wisdom to appreciate that. So I, I'm in that area. I am simple. Maybe I am easily seduced. Maybe I'm ignorant. And so it's written to the inexperienced. Now, the fact that God put it in the Bible and preserved it miraculously for us for 2,000 plus, plus years says something about us, right? We too can be simple, ignorant, easily seduced, one decision away from stupid. Okay? So, so that's, that's the context that we're going. So, uh, so insight and inexperience, knowledge and discretion to a young man. That's what we've talked about. Let a wise person listen and increase learning. In other words, you'll never arrive. There will never be a day that you arrive and say, I know everything there is to know about marriage. And your wife looks at you and says, say what? Right? I mean, there, that will never happen. And so we can always learn. We can always get wiser. And he, and he goes on and says, And let a discerning a person obtain guidance. For his understanding a proverb or a parable, the words of the wise and their riddles. And then here's kind of the, the theme verse that ties the whole book together. The fear of the Lord. We'll unpack what that means. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, yet fools despise, fools hate wisdom and discipline. Now, go back. Let's, let's read this for just a second and, and think, pretend we're like going to the Grand Canyon. And we need wisdom to fit in and appropriately enjoy it. So God is saying, look, if you've never been there before, you need, you need to learn some things. You need to understand some things. You need to respect some things. You need to have a healthy fear of gravity to appreciate aspects of the Grand Canyon. So if you lay that over it, it give, this gives us what I'll call three keys to unlocking God's power in your, into your very life today. From the book of Proverbs. Three keys to unlocking God's power that I think is found in the book of Proverbs and in God's word in general. The first thing is this. We have to admit something about ourselves. We have to be willing to admit something about ourselves. And that is in many areas of our lives we are simple or we are inexperienced. And, and so the book of Proverbs calls us out and, and, and says, hey, you're inexperienced in this. You need to learn more in this area. And it's just this admission of, hey, I need to have something. It's this understanding that, listen, left to yourself, you will never become a wise person. Did, would you, would, could you even admit that? Left to yourself, you will never have the ability to consistently make great, wise, and or ethical, and or moral choices. Left to yourself, you will become, over time, your worst enemy. Left to yourself... Son, you'll never be the leader God wants you to be. Impose that back on Proverbs. Left to yourself without guardrails and warnings and in a heart of of humility and a willingness to admit you don't know, the Grand Canyon can become very, very dangerous very, very quickly. That's all all we're saying. That's all we're saying. Now, here's the challenge with that. Here's the challenge with that. And and Proverbs coaches us and says, hey, don't be wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord, respect the Lord, honor the Lord. So, so there's the challenge. Don't be wise in your own eyes. Admit there's areas in your life where you're just simple. Now, I, I don't know about you, but like marriage convinces me of that. I've been married 17 years and I still don't know what I don't know sometimes. I'm like, how could I do that? Why did I say that? Why didn't I, why have I, I you know, I, like ever like run into something in your life and like, man, I have no idea what to do. The moment you become a parent, you're like, what do I do with this? Right? Now I have a teenager. I have no idea what to do with that. Right? (laughs) every day, I, I, I pastor a church. This is the only church I've ever pastored. been doing it 17 years. We're in a new season in our church. We're adding a sixth campus. We're talking about reaching, uh, how do we reach Spanish speakers more effectively? We've got this fresh start thing coming up. We've got buildings going up. We've got new recovery groups advancing, discipleship initiatives going forward. And, and, and so there's days I'm sitting in my office or walking around uh, our campuses and our communities. And I'm like, God, I have no idea what I'm doing. Now, let me just say what, let me say what my experience tells me. When I say that, I'm closer to God than when I say, I got this. I got this. So we have to be willing to admit, we're simple not to be wise in our own eyes. The number two key to unlocking the power of Proverbs is this. We have to fight something within ourselves. We have to fight something Within ourselves and every single person, please don't say this does not apply to you because it does. It applies to me. It applies to every human being you'll lock eyes with. We have to be willing to fight something within ourselves. That is we're proud. We're defensive and we're insecure. Proud people do not like to say I'm simple, inexperienced, naive, seducible, one decision away from stupid. Defensive people, even though they may recognize, yes, I am simple, yes, I am inexperienced, they're not going to let you know it. They're going to defend themselves and say, no, I'm okay. No, I got this. No, I understand this. No, I can handle this. No, I don't need God. No, gravity doesn't apply to me. Whatever. Insecure people. It, it, it takes some level of humility and to say, I, I, I don't have, I don't know what I don't know." It, it takes some level of of just kind of honesty and transparency to look at your wife or look at your kids and say, "I don't know, but I'm committed to finding out." There's something in our hearts that causes us, and the, the Bible in one seven in Proverbs one seven says to despise wisdom. And and, and just check yourself. And this shows up mostly in marriage and in parenting in my world. But uh, your wife tells you something that you know is right. But something in you is like, "Uh uh-uh, I'm not admitting it. Mm -mm." And and you get defensive and you get all proud. But deep down you're insecure and you don't want to admit it. Because to admit it would be like a sense of failure when really it would be a sign that you're getting closer to wisdom. Or your kids I mean, part of the challenge of having a teenager is sometimes your teenager has figured out that you're not perfect. And when your son calls you on it, or you realize what you did hurt your son or hurt your daughter, but you're too proud, defensive, and insecure to say, I hurt you because, son, I'm a parent, and sometimes I'm simple, inexperienced, and do stupid things. And, and And I hope all of you can understand that and i hope all of you would be willing to just to today just to admit that so we're proud defensive and insecure and so we have to fight that going off inside ourselves in order to get to wisdom in order to get to understanding in order to get where god wants us to go cuz i guarantee you the two people in the spring of this year that died getting too close to the rim, too close to the edge of the Grand Canyon, I guarantee you the thought that was going into their mind the moment before they slipped or the moment before they fell was not, Oh, I better be careful. I better, I don't know what I don't know. I'm inexperienced. This is new to me. It was not that. I, I guarantee you they were saying something. This is going to be the greatest picture ever, baby. I guarantee you it was that. I guarantee you they were not thinking about something that has not changed since God said, let there be light. Gravity. So that takes us to the third point. As Well, let's kind of unpack and let me just show you this call to fight this within ourselves. Listen to this dad or this mentor talking to a mentee or talking to his son. Listen, my son. To your father's instruction, don't reject your mother's teaching for they will be a garland of favor on your head and pendants around your neck. So please listen, don't, don't get bowed up and proud, don't get insecure and defensive, listen and be open and receptive. And then later on in chapter 1, you'll see this when he's talking about foolish people, he says, how long, oh naive ones, will you love being simple-minded? How long are you going to play till the edge? And scoffers delight themselves in scoffing. <laughs> well, it never happened to me. And fools hate knowledge. How many times have you done something stupid? And, or, and some of you may be doing something stupid right now. And, and, and this has been your justification. Well, nobody got hurt. Well, nobody found out. Well, it felt good. Well, we got a cool picture. Now, now as a parent, you look at your kids and they do something totally dumb that you know if they did that, you know, one more time they could get hurt, someone could get hurt, or if they kept doing that for 30 years, you know, they would end up in prison or something. And you you look at them and they're like, they look at you and they're like, nothing happened, everything was cool, Dad. But you see it in other people more clearly than you see in yourselves. And so the, the father is saying, look, you got to fight this temptation to think you got it figured out. you got to fight this temptation to think you're okay. Now, let me be honest with you. Some of you have been a Christian so long, you don't think there's anything left for you to learn. And so you've closed the Bible. You've got, you come to church to either go through the motions or your church attendance is so sporadic. And I would point back to you and say, do you think you've arrived? Do you think there's more of this thing called Christianity and this amazing God for you to walk into and go? And and so you are always, always one decision away from drifting away, moving away, falling off the ledge. So we have to fight this temptation in ourselves to think we're okay, to think we've got it, and fight this temptation to keep up appearances and just say, hey, I don't have it figured out. I need to start back with you, God. Which takes us to the third key of unlocking the power of Proverbs, which is we have to respect something about the way God created us and the world. Now, the book of Proverbs is going to frequently, as you read through it, you'll see this, is frequently going to point you back to creation. It's going to ask you, and we'll talk about this in a couple weeks, it's going to ask you to look at an ant, A-N-T, an ant, and, and to learn from the ant. In Proverbs 8, which I'm going to read in just a second, it points to creation to give us a cue to how to get and how to see and how to grasp God's wisdom. Listen to Proverbs 8. It says this, the Lord formed me, that's wisdom, from the beginning. Before he created anything else, I was there when he established the heavens, when he drew the horizon on the oceans. I was there when he set the clouds above, when he established springs deep in the earth. I was there when he set the limits of the seas so that they would not spread beyond their boundaries. I was there when he marked off the earth's foundations and and he says i was the architect at his side i was his constant delight rejoicing always in his presence so what's he saying that the created world was created by wisdom and there's rules and there's laws and there's principles that set all this in motion. Now, when we're in science class, we don't talk about God and wisdom together. We'll say things like the second law of thermodynamics. We'll say things like aerodynamics or we'll say things like Archimedes' principle or Newton's laws, but that's all God's wisdom to keep this world so that we can live biologically in it and if God has rules and laws and order and principle for us to be alive biologically in his world doesn't it also make sense that he has rules and principles and commands to keep us alive morally and spiritually and relationally in this world so that we wisely what is wisely fitting in to what God has made and so we have to understand something that there is an order to what God has done. And, and so Proverbs is going to invite us to honor the order, honor how God has designed things to work. Just like at the Grand Canyon, gravity applies. Just like, you know, in in life and in in various areas of life, there are order and there are principles and there are things that just apply because that's the way God made the world. That's the way God designed marriage to work. That's the power and all those kind of things. And so we have to honor the order. Now, here's how you're going to see it as you read through Proverbs. There's going to be a lot of statements that say, if this, then this. If you fall off the edge, then gravity will take over and take you to the bottom of the cliff. And it'll sound sometimes like that. It'll say, if you put God first, then he will make your path straight. If you are not wise in your own eyes and fear the Lord. I mean, it'll say all those things. And that's an invitation to come back and to honor the order that God has created the universe. So so when you bump into a proverb on money, on sex, on the tongue, those are the big three, on, on how to choose your friends, that is God talking about an order, a wisdom, a design, an intentionality that he wants us to honor. And if you're ever thinking, gravity doesn't apply to me, God's rules for sex don't apply to me, then God would say, you're being foolish. How long? How long? Now, it's helpful to see how Proverbs fits into the big 66. Proverbs is one of 66 books. So let me show you from Romans chapter 1 how what the, the fundamental problem of your life, my life, and the world is that we dishonor, disrespect the order that God has put things in. Adam and Eve started the process. You and I have just continued it, and we need some help getting out of it. Listen to what God says in Romans 1 based on what we've talked about. God shows his anger from heaven against all sinful, wicked people who suppress the truth, don't want to acknowledge what's true, don't want to acknowledge what's absolute, don't want to acknowledge what's universal. But they suppress it by their wickedness. They know the truth about God. Well, how do they know the truth about God? Because he has made it obvious to them. Well, how has God made his truth obvious? For since the world was created, creation Speaks to us about God's intent and God's design. We're no accident. How, are, how do all these laws keep us alive biologically? How do God's laws designed to keep us alive spiritually, and we've suppressed it. So it's all people have seen the earth and sky through everything God made. They can clearly see his invisible qualities, his eternal power, and his divine nature. We can see the order, the power, the intentionality of God. So they have no excuse for not knowing God. Because his wisdom's available. Proverbs is going to say that. Yes, they knew God, but they wouldn't worship him, fear, respect him as God. And they would, and even, or, or even give him thanks. And so they began to think up foolish ideas of what God was like. As a result, their minds became dark and confused, claiming to be wise. They instead became utter fools. And instead of worshiping the glorious, ever-living God, they worshiped idols or substitutes for God. Proverbs is about reorienting back to the ways and the truths and the principles of God and honoring His order physically, morally, sexually, financially, relationally, etc., etc. Because there's a big hope that God has. And this is true of anything. Wisdom, which starts and includes the fear of the Lord, is necessary for an appropriate relationship with anything more powerful than us. I want you to think about that for a second. If you have a relationship with anything more powerful than you, you have to have wisdom. When I go to the lake or go to the beach with my kids, creation is more powerful than us. Water is more powerful than us. So my kids and I, whether we're boating, whether we're skiing, we have to operate with wisdom, which includes things like wear a life jacket, don't swim alone, right? If the boat's moving, you're sitting down. That's just wisdom to enjoy something more powerful than me. Money is more powerful than you. Jesus called money a master. Sex is more powerful than you. So when you bump up against the sex chapters in Proverbs... It's just say hey, here's how to have an appropriate, wise relationship with this powerful thing that is way more than physical, by the way. And on and on. Your tongue and the words you speak, do you know the words you speak are more powerful than you? Have you ever said something and created a firestorm in your marriage, a firestorm in your home, a firestorm in work, and it was like toothpaste. Once it's out, you can't get it back in. And you're like, your words, you know, I just said I didn't mean... Too late. So when you bump up against Proverbs about how to use your tongue, because God is giving you wisdom to how to have an appropriate relationship with something more powerful than you. But ultimately, Proverbs is designed to show you how to have an appropriate relationship with God who is more powerful than you. And God, like the Grand Canyon, is meant to be enjoyed. And gravity is not mean, but it's dangerous. God is not mean, but he's dangerous. The lake, the ocean, not mean, but dangerous because they're powerful, they're glorious, and they're bigger than us. So as you read through Proverbs, you're going to see the the covenant, which means get into a relationship name, of God 85 times. I want my people in covenant with me. And he's going to talk about having respect for me 14 times, 48 times wisdom, 58 times fool, because he doesn't want you to miss being in right relationship, which requires wisdom with himself. So here's what we have to understand. And this is where, we, which is where you'll push back. The fear of the Lord is a necessary component and a necessary prerequisite of, of wisdom. The fear of the Lord is necessary to move forward in wisdom. Let me show you this in a scripture and then talk to you about it in a couple of examples. In Genesis 20, 11, Abraham does something he shouldn't do. And, the guy, and this guy confronts him and says, why didn't you do it? And he says, because I thought surely there was no fear of God in this place. And because there's no fear of the Lord in this place, they'll kill me because of my wife. Now, our culture doesn't want to admit that, that the fear of the Lord, when it's missing, things get messed up and things are dangerous because we don't want to, you know, fear sounds crazy and fear sounds bad. But imagine if you went into an airplane and, and the cockpit door was still open, they hadn't secured it, and you heard the pilot and the co-pilot talking and they said, man, there's no fear of aerodynamics in this cockpit. Well, you'd be like, hey, I want to be on another plane. You know, I operate nuclear reactors for the Navy. Imagine you're in Norfolk, Virginia. And you overheard me down there like, man, I got no fear of thermodynamics, no fear of nuclear power in this place. you be know, like, I need to get out of here. I need to get out of here. I need to get out of here. The people that are on the edge of the Grand Canyon, no fear of gravity in them at that moment. So you look at your life and you're like, where am I not fearing God? Where am I not respecting His order? And here's the challenge, though. In our culture, we're being fed a lie that anything that is a boundary is negotiable. I want you to listen to a Supreme Court case in 1992. I don't know the vote. Here's what the Supreme Court said is the definition of freedom. The heart of liberty is to define one's own concept of existence and the meaning of the universe. That is the dumbest statement I've ever read. I cannot define my concept of my existence. I can't do it. What, what if I'm a fish? And I'm like, man, this water's restrictive, baby. I'm getting on dry land, and I flop on the dry land. And, buddy, I'm free, I'm free, I'm free. About a, two minutes later, I'm dead, I'm dead, I'm dead. I cannot go up to the rim of the Grand Canyon and say, man, I can fly, baby. I can fly, because I can't. I can't come up to sex and say, it's just physical, it's just physical. I can't come up to money and say, it's mine, it's mine, it's mine. I can't do that. There's boundaries that God put in place because He's powerful. And those boundaries are put in place because He's a God who wants relationship with us. And if I'm going to have a relationship with anything more powerful than me, there's got to be wisdom, which requires fear. Which requires fear or respect or understanding. Which means that the fear of the Lord is really part of an invitation to enjoy God. That's what I want us to hear. A lot of you, maybe you grew up in a church. Maybe you've interacted with a Christian, and it was all wagging the finger, don't go to hell, straighten your act up. And, and you're just like, man, this whole fear, love, fear, God thing is messed up. I don't know. I mean, maybe, I'm not, maybe God's not for me. Maybe I'm just trying to keep God off my back. When God invites you into a relationship with him and says, the fear of the Lord is necessary component of that, it, it, it's like you go into the Grand Canyon, and, and the park ranger saying, don't get close to the edge. You'll enjoy it better. That's what God's saying. Listen to how Jesus says it. Okay, listen to how Jesus says it. Same stuff. The Bible, 40 different authors, 1,500 years, same message is found in all these books. It's beautiful. Listen to how Jesus describes this. Dear friends, don't be afraid of those who want to kill your body. Don't be afraid of people who can take your physical life. They cannot do any more to you after that. Okay? In other words, he's saying there's, there's worse things than physical death. But here's what he says. But I'll tell you whom to fear. This is Jesus. He's God. He's talking. He says, fear God who has the power to kill you and then throw you into hell. Now, that's not popular. Oh, my gosh. But listen, yes, he's the one to fear. So he said, look, there's a way you have to relate to God. Like there's a way you have to relate to gravity. Like there's a way you have to relate to water. Like there's a way you have to relate to money, to sex, to communications. All that you're going to encounter as you read Proverbs. There's a way you have to relate to God, to enjoy God. And if you violate some of that, then there's big dangers at risk. A.K.A. you can fall off the edge of the Grand Canyon. You can wind up, yes, in a literal hell. And he talks about hell and he talks about fearing God, and then look where he immediately goes. He the next sentence, listen to what he says. What is the price of five sparrows, two copper coins? Yet God does not forget a single one of them. And the very heads of your head are all numbered. So don't be afraid. Be afraid. Don't be afraid. You are more valuable to God than a whole flock of sparrows. In the same context of him talking about fear him and same context of him talking about hell, he says, you're more valuable to God than a whole flock of sparrows. I tell you the truth, everyone who acknowledges me, surrenders to me, confesses me, fears me, whatever word you want to use, acknowledges me publicly here on earth, the Son of Man will acknowledge him in the presence of God's angels. But anyone who denies me here on earth will be denied before God's angels. So what is Jesus saying? I love you too much to let you get to the edge and fall off. In fact, Jesus would be the one who would go to the edge for us and become the guardrail and says, you can't get through, you can't go to hell if you come to the cross where I died in your place and for all your stupidity and I died to become... Your father, your king, your counselor, your son. So how do we move forward with this? A couple of steps. We'll turn you loose to read, and we pray, and God works in you the next 30, some odd days. Number one, put no limits on the scope of God's wisdom. Some of you, that's where you start, because you think God does not apply to your girlfriend and, your, and the relationship you have with her on the sofa at night. Some of you think, nope, it's my money. Some of you think, nope. I don't have any more to learn. Just put no limits on the scope of God's wisdom. Proverbs 3, 6 says it this way. In all your ways, submit to him. He'll make your path straight. All means all. Second thing, we have to want wisdom more than what we want. It's a tongue twister a little bit, right? Want wisdom more than what we want. So here's what it means. You cannot say, I want money because you'll go for it at all costs. You'll shortcut it. The people of the Grand Canyon cannot say, I want a selfie, a cool selfie at all costs. Instead of what we say, I want God's wisdom about money. I, I want God's wisdom for how to enjoy creation, right? So I have to want mit- wisdom more than what I want. Proverbs 2, 7, chapter 2, verse 1. Here's what it says. My son, if, here we go, conditional, if you accept my word, store up my commands within you, listening closely to wisdom, directing your heart to understanding. Furthermore, if you call out to insight, lift your voice to understanding, if you seek it like silver and hidden treasure. So I've got to seek wisdom more than money, more than sex, more than power. I've got to seek it like silver, like hidden treasure. Then you will understand the fear of the Lord Discover the knowledge of God, for the Lord gives wisdom. And he stores up success, ding, ding, that's something everybody wants, for he is a shield for those who live with integrity. So what would he say? You have to want wisdom more than you want success in every area of your life. Who wants to have a a successful sex life with their wife? Who wants to have a healthy financial posture? Who wants to have a healthy relationship or a successful relationship with God? I have to want wisdom, because that's the path. Third thing, we, listen, we have to listen, learn, and act. Listen to what God says, learn it, and act upon it. That, that's, that's just basic. So let me say this. You don't have to be an atheist to ruin your life, miss your purpose. You don't have to un- have no belief in God. You just have to not listen. Be complacent. And not take what God says and apply it to your life. Again, look how Jesus would say... Well, the same thing the Father said to the Son. Listen, listen, listen. Here's what Jesus says to us. The end of the Sermon on the Mount. his long sermon. Jesus says, Everyone who hears these words of mine and acts on them... Hears and acts... Will become like a wise man... Proverbs fits in with the New Testament... Who built his house on the rock. The rain fell. The rivers rose. The wind blew and pounded that house. Yet it didn't collapse because its foundation was on the rock. The people in the Grand Canyon who listened to the voice of the signs and the park rangers saying, don't get close to the edge, don't fall off the edge. But everyone who hears these words of mine and doesn't act on them will become like the foolish man who built his house on the sand and who got too close to the edge and fell over. The rain fell, the rivers rose, the winds blew and pounded that house and it collapsed with a great clash. Number four step, we must submit to God's order before we seek his plans. A lot of times we get focused on what's God's plan, what's God doing, what's God doing. I don't know, where's God taking me? Do I go here, do I go there? Submit to God's order before you get focused on God's plan. So some of you, you know, maybe you're at a place of confusion. I don't know what God wants me to do when it comes to college, career. My marriage is in a mess. My job's in a mess. And what is God doing? What is God's plans? What is God's order is your first question what is god's order it's like it's like i say to college students because college students they or high school seniors like where am i going to college career where college should i go here should i go there and i'm like it really doesn't matter how are you going to do college are you going to honor god's order at college because whether you go to Athens or Knoxville or Tuscaloosa or Dalton State or Cleveland or wherever it doesn't matter where you go if you disrespect the order gravity still applies so we have to submit to god's order Before we seek his plans. And then finally, wisdom is ultimately in the person of God. Wisdom ultimately unlocks upon this person of Jesus Christ. Jesus just doesn't have wisdom for heaven and hell. Jesus doesn't just have wisdom for death and cancer. Jesus has wisdom for everything. 1 Corinthians says this way, it's from him that you are in Christ Jesus who became wisdom from God for us. Jesus became our righteousness, sanctification, and redemption. In order that as it is written, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. And just like the father in Proverbs is writing to his kids or his protégés and, and, and coaching them up to leadership and royalty, do you know why God is extending this invitation to wisdom? Because ultimately, you know what he wants you to be? Listen, you are, those who have put their faith in Jesus, a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation. God is shaping us, instructing us to be royal, to be his people, God's special possession, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness. And this is Genesis 1 language, let there be light. Out of darkness into his marvelous light, out of confusion, out of sin, out of sorrow, and into the wisdom and the ways of God. And I hope and pray that God finds all of us listening today, willing to act today and willing to move forward in this beautiful relationship with him for the rest of our lives and into eternity. Let's pray together. God, we thank you so much for your word. I pray that your word would do its work. Not only here at the conclusion of the service in our hearts, God, But as we think about what we've heard, God, and as we begin to interact with you through Proverbs 1 and Proverbs 2 and Proverbs 3, God, I pray you'd bless the reading of your word as your people engage in it. God, I pray you would all find us hungry for wisdom and willing to start by admitting we need it, by fearing you for it, and moving forward, believing, God, that when we're walking with you, you are the best, and with you and from you, the best is always yet to come. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, we pray. Amen.